Hello and welcome once again to Yester Ladies. I'm Dana. And I'm Heather. And uh, Heather, what are we talking about this week? Well, Dana, we are talking about Madame de Pompadour. Madame de Pompadour. Also, we should point out, I'm not sure in what order we'll be releasing our episodes, um, but this is the first episode that we are recording with a third person present yes we have a third party joining us that's my little daughter sarah sarah she's six weeks old and she is the newest yester lady she is and she's simply adorable she's snoozing right now we hope that that continues throughout this podcast hopefully we can get the whole thing done before she starts squalling yes that's our that's our goal but she is absolutely adorable and she is wearing pompadour pink today pompadour pink and uh, yeah we just want to congratulate heather and her husband rob on this adorable little addition to their family it's official (laughs) thank you (laughs) absolutely all right okay so now that we have introduced our (laughs) our newest yesterday um I have been so excited about doing Madame de Pompadour <laughs> for months. I feel like I've been like bringing it up a lot. It was basically my version of the second or your version of the Sacagawea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kept suggesting it. I want to do Madame de Pompadour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I will freely admit that the biggest re- I had never really heard of her before. I mean, okay, like, you know, we've all heard of like the Pompadour hairstyle yes. or, you know, I don't know, other kind of references to something Pompadour, but, you you know, I'd never really known who that was or that that was a person until I got really into Doctor Who last summer and uh, (laughs) saw the episode where Madame de Pompadour shows up and I, like, fell in love with her. (laughs) She's awesome. She's so very cool. You can see why the Doctor, you all have to go and see that episode. It's such a good episode. I haven't made (laughs) Heather watch it yet. But that's coming. It's she, happening soon. Yes, it's happening soon. She knows to expect that. It's, a, <laughs> it's one of the best episodes, I think. And, of mm. course, it's David Tennant as the 10th Doctor with uh, Madame de Pompadour. Very nice. And uh, he loves her, and so we love her. Of course. And it's just amazing. Well, she was a very interesting woman. She was she incredible. so many interests and so yeah. many talents and, uh, and wielded a ton of influence. So she was yeah. quite the character. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, all right, well, let's just kind of dive right in with mm-hmm. the basic facts. Just the facts, just ma'am. The facts. I'm bringing that back because I had more than one person be like, I like that. Just the facts, ma'am. My friend Matt was like, it's good. I like it. So that's, that's the line now. Yeah, okay. I, like I think it. as long as we don't overuse it. Okay. Just once per podcast. Yeah. Okay. At most. At most. <laughs> all right. So just the facts mm-hmm. of, um, Madame de Pompadour's life. Um, she was born in Paris, which at the time was not the amazing bustling enormous city that it is now it was i think what i understood it was kind of a backwater smaller village with lots of mud and Mm -hmm. um definitely not what we think of today but uh in any event um madame de pompadour was born there in december late december of 1721 and she was born jean antoinette poisson (laughs) Which is such a great name because poisson <laughs> means fish in French. Exactly. <laughs> I just kept thinking this whole time, this sophisticated woman with all this power at court, really her name is Jean Fish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's the seductress and this temptress and the official mistress. And her name is Jean Fish. <laughs> well, that's what's, it's good that she got like a, a better title. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> Later definitely on upgraded. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Jean Antoinette's mother had been known as a local beauty and her father, who was, um, he was a financier and he ended up fleeing the country just a few years after she was born, uh, to avoid being put to death for fraud. And, um, I don't know specifically the details around that, but at least one of the articles we read mentioned some kind of like he was used as a patsy or something mm-hmm, by his right. business partners. Yeah. I, what I had read was that he was working with two brothers who used him as a scapegoat for their their financial indiscretions so he was forced to flee yeah and i understand he eventually came back to the country yes eight years later yeah but in the meantime um his his place was kind of taken (laughs) uh, by this uh charles le normand du tournant and please forgive our friend's pronunciations throughout the episode (laughs) some may be better than others (laughs) we can do poisson poisson i'm good charles's name escapes us yeah it's a lot that's a lot, That's a lot right there. So I did the best I could. Lay off me. Um, anyway, Charles, as we mm-hmm. would call him, 
uh, was a tax collector and was a pretty wealthy guy. And I guess he took up with um, Jean Antoinette's mother and ended up paying for her education and was often assumed to be her real father. Um, and then I guess eventually when her when her father – I don't know if that means like <laughs> so was he – biologically her father right like, that was right. very vague so yes. i don't know biologically yes. who was her father but right eventually poisson came yes. back and uh they, i guess they all kind of lived it, together this it was so weird when i was reading that it yeah. said like they, the two families lived happily together and i was going really what <laughs> <laughs> yes i thought it would have been a big brouhaha when when uh the father returns and here this other man has taken up with his wife and maybe fathered all these children with her and like what the french <laughs> the, you know right i mean <laughs> as we'll see open-minded <laughs> yes it's they're very open-minded you know. actually i was reading something fairly recently um i forget i can't even remember what it was what context it was but it was something to the effect of like in france they are still and they've kind of always been just much more kind of open-minded about romantic relationships and more fluid and more willing to accept um, outside relationships and which, you know, good for them. (laughs) Could be appealing to many. Yeah. yeah. If it works, good for you. Yes. I read the same thing and that some of the former prime ministers, um, their funerals, their mistresses have attended right alongside their wives. And everyone is just completely, it's not scandalous at all. It's completely accepted. Which is just so, I mean, you think about the difference in our culture and even I think at the time, probably in, in the colonies (laughs) uh, (laughs) over here, um, this kind of thing it just wasn't i don't know they were puritans right so. right yes. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of them were but yes. um yeah so anyway the two families lived together right um so jean antoinette um as i mentioned this uh Turnum, or however you say his name uh was paying for her education so first that was at an ursuline convent um, and then later she had private tutors from the Parisian opera and theater <laughs> and they gave her lessons in voice and elocution. And apparently by the time she was in her late teens, she had memorized like entire plays. I read that as well. I thought of you, Dana, and how much oh, you would have enjoyed oh, wow. being tutored by yes. members of the opera <laughs> as a child. I, I love that. This, this is the second time now that you've mentioned <laughs> me in relation to this person and I could not be happier about it. I, I would have loved to have been Madame. Yeah. De Pompadour, <laughs> my ideal life. <laughs> this awesome. woman of influence who loved the theater and yes. sang and like patron of all the arts, patron of all the arts, yes. power in the court, the king's pink. heart. <laughs> yeah, pink. exactly. Oh, that's just delightful. Oh boy. <laughs> it makes me happy that you think of me in as a lasting with her. style influence in all of French oh. history. <laughs> Heather, great. she's buttering me up for something. I, I, I know what, why she is such a fan of Madame Pompadour. <laughs> oh, well, that's just sweet. <laughs> and did you read the little tidbit, Dana, about in her childhood, her mother took her to have her fortune read? <gasps> yes, this is yes. great. And the fortune teller claimed that she would one day rule the heart of a king. And the family took this seriously and basically made it their business to groom her yeah. for and the role of seriously. official mistress. And she, she did. She thought it was yes. her destiny. She believed it was going to happen and, and it did yeah so, well yeah. and uh, i love after that visit to the mm-hmm. uh, fortune teller um they nicknamed her renette yes which means little queen, queen. which wonderful. is adorable and actually if you watch that doctor who episode mm. he calls her renette yeah. and it's just so cute watch that episode it's so accurate <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know spaceships and robots aside yes clockwork robots that's what i'll say (laughs) um right okay so her education uh so later on uh renette as i will call her from now on out um was eventually also educated at this club which i (laughs) looked into because it's just (laughs) so interesting and i don't really cool how did she get involved with this i I don't don't understand so this was the club de l'entresol which was i mean it sounded kind of like a salon but a little more serious um it was this exclusively male political and economic think tank right um and i did look into it a little bit more so it was founded in 1724 and it was based on an English model for free discussion. And as, as I mentioned, they talked about political and economic issues. And they met every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. in Paris. 
And it was frequented by the forerunners of the Age of Enlightenment, including Montesquieu and Horace Walpole, who hmm. I was like, oh, because yes, we all yes. know him as yeah. the writer of The Castle of Otranto. Oh. <laughs> if you did undergrad English, you, you know that. You probably yeah. know Horace Walpole. If you didn't, it's probably not a super important detail in your life. But <laughs> no. we know that because of undergrad English. Yes. Um, so uh, this salon went on for a number of years and then eventually... Uh, the king came to see it. And this is Louis XV, who, mm. um, spoiler alert, Renette became <laughs> uh, the king's mistress. Uh, eventually, he shut it down because they espoused these potentially dangerous mm. um, doctrines. Uh, especially, they were opposed to mercantilism and physiocracy, which I had mm. to look up. Physiocracy was basically um, the belief that agricultural products should be priced higher hmm. in a nutshell <laughs> look it up if you're if you want to know a lot more about that but as i understood it that's kind of the nutshell version of okay. physiocracy and these guys did not like it and the king was not cool <laughs> with that uh and i guess it was mostly uh pressure from cardinal fleury who I guess the club was critical of the mm. cardinal and he put pressure on the king to shut the club down, which he did in 1731. Interesting. So already Renette was like, um, I, I, like, I just don't like, how did she get involved? I, with I this? have no idea how I think that would make its own movie right I there. Know. Like the story of this young, educated, very accomplished Parisian girl breaking down the doors to this all male like club well, about politics and economics. And I kept, that's so interesting. I know. I kept thinking all the way through this research, like there needs to be a movie yes, about absolutely. this woman. Like, absolutely. Can I play her? Yeah. <laughs> we need to make it, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> he goes on to make the know, right? seminal Madame de Pompadour That'll be my biopic. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder yeah. if there has been. I didn't even look that up. I meant to if there actually has been a movie version. I right. can't imagine that somebody has I'm tackled sure. her. I'm sure someone has done it. But yeah. whether it included details like that, because mm. that's that's so I know I need it. It's like gender yeah. barrier breaking and all this stuff. It's well, really and the cool. fact that she was getting this political economic theory education which allowed her to kind of hold her own and you know converse thoughtfully and intelligently with the men around her and the important men that she was coming to meet yeah you can Um, see that as kind of the seeds of her influence later in court in international affairs and foreign policy and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but you can see later that mm-hmm. this is, you know, sort of her, her training ground or proving ground for, yeah. for that. So that's yeah, I was really thinking that too. Yeah. So, um, as I understood it, uh, that kind of rounded off her education, which was pretty diverse, I would yes. say from a convent to like you know, Parisian <laughs> opera, opera to this <laughs> economic think tank. She had quite an education. Yes. Um, so did you want to, do you have anything about her, her, her youthful life after her education that you wanted to go into? Uh, mine jumps right into her marriage after that. So Yeah, that's why I have All to. Right. So she was married at age 19. Um, so Charles, her perhaps, I have bio question mark father. <laughs> her, uh, we'll call him her stepfather. Stepfather. <laughs> Stepdad Charles arranges a marriage uh, to his nephew. So he has this wealthy young nephew who instantly falls mm-hmm. in love with. I guess he was a little bit reticent beforehand, but then he right. saw her and he was like, her. oh. I guess we should point out too that apparently she was very beautiful. Yes. Which na- I feel like that's what I'm saying. Like you kind of, you kind of figure. <laughs> if you win the heart of a king and yeah. other men as well, you're probably, you're probably decent looking easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, so she she marries and uh, they're set up in a beautiful chateau called the Chateau d'Etoile, which I believe is the, sh- the Castle of Stars. Oh, <laughs> oh I nice, was like, oh, I nice. want a Chateau yeah. d'Etoile. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so she is married and uh, they start a family and um, she does suffer a number of miscarriages mm-hmm. and they have an infant son who passes away. So she did experience quite a bit of loss. and But they have a daughter together, um, Alexandra. Dream, and what was her nickname? Her Heather? nickname was Fan Fan. <laughs> Which I was like, I heard that terrible. Fan, that's fan what you fan. call a panda. <laughs> <laughs> a 
that's not a good name that's for not a, a good name at all. It's terrible. <laughs> I am glad you also disapprove. Mm, I do. <laughs> I disapprove. Yes. So, um, but but life at her own chateau and as a d- domestic mother and wife was not enough for no, uh, no. Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, she had vicious. much higher uh, sights. She had her sights set much higher. Let me rephrase. Um, so she makes sure to quickly overlap her circle with the kings and mm-hmm. catch his eye in multiple ways. Well, and around the same time, um, she began hosting her own salons. Correct. Which, Thank uh, you. It was a, a big thing at the time. And of course, she was just the kind of person that you could see doing this, yes. right? Like this educated, beautiful, sparkling, vivacious, um, gregarious woman. Um, and still, like she was in her like early 20s right. so at this point. And Quite she's young. Yes. Yeah. She's yeah. starting these famous salons, uh, which quickly attracted a wide assortment of you know, important and interesting people from mm-hmm. the day, including painters, sculptors, philosophers, writers. Um, and one of the big names that we'll mm-hmm. recognize uh, was Voltaire. Correct. He frequented her salons and she later championed him to the king and uh, kind of helped make his career, which is pretty cool. Yes. I love that. Like, and of course we all know Voltaire's name and like, we've all heard of him and he's this big influence, but here's this woman who kind of mm-hmm. really Gave him his start. Yeah, gave yeah. him his start and made Absolutely. his career. And, you know, most of us have no idea really who she was. So. Right. And I read on one of the sites that uh, careers could rise or fall with her favor. So she was really sort of a star maker. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the power behind a lot of these famous uh, figures. Absolutely. You, you might not realize. So that. cool. Yeah. That's her. <laughs> All right, so she sets about very determinedly to catch the eye of the king, and she's able to do this because uh, her and her husband's property adjoin some of the hunting grounds um, that the king used often. And while they weren't allowed to participate in the hunt, they could observe. So the neighbors basically were allowed to trail along behind in their carriages and watch the hunt. <laughs> so, uh, but trailing along behind was not her style. No. So, well, and, uh, yeah. sorry, I just want to break in and point out that um, she was not aristocracy. Um, you know, it sounds like she came from a fairly well-to-do family, kind of maybe professional class right. family, but um, they were not members of the aristocracy. Correct. So They were made money, yes. Right. Yes, rather exactly. than inherited money. Correct. Exactly. So she very boldly uh, t- is is driving a phaeton, so this light carriage, and uh, drives it directly in front of the king, like in this path in front of the king, standing up in this sort of wild gesture. And this is completely inappropriate for a woman, for anyone, and particularly for a woman to be doing this. And uh, did you read the thing about the two days, she did two days in a row? Yeah. And one, the first, or I can't remember which was which, but one time she was wearing a blue dress and a pink phaeton, and the next day she was wearing a pink dress and a blue phaeton. And I thought, how many carriages does this woman have? And did she just repaint the same carriage? <laughs> that I love that idea. Can you imagine she's like yeah. in like the barn? Like she goes, that she night. goes home the next day, like George, repaint my carriage for tomorrow. I need a pink. No, I, lo- I like the image of her doing her it. painting, <laughs> and then painting her dress the opposite color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I'm thinking like why wouldn't I don't. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just like, why wouldn't you wear the blue dress with the blue fate and then the pink dress with so the pink matched. Yeah. I feel like that would be more of an impact. Well, maybe it was a color contrast and it I guess. caught their eye. She, she had the taste, so I'll defer she to was the her taste judgment. Maker. Correct. <laughs> and obviously this, her course worked, so I'm not going to question it. So twice she makes this very bold move of driving her carriage uh, single-handedly while standing in front of the king. And uh, she catches his eye, certainly, and the eye of everyone else present, including the eye of his current mistress mm. who warns her off so that mm-hmm. would have been a very interesting um yeah. meeting to be like, how did she wall. do that did she do it in person or did she send a messenger uh, it, or like... it did not say mm-hmm. i wanted to look more into it but mm-hmm. uh, i did not so <laughs> it remains a mystery <laughs> <laughs> so we can imagine what that would be like for our biopic mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so that certainly catches his eye and uh, he starts asking uh, the king starts asking around about her and uh, they they meet more intimately in person at something that we adore oh. in 1741. Oh. But before oh. before we mention that, I'm not sure. At a certain point, she Renette kind of gets a stroke of good luck because that mistress who warned her off yes. then suddenly died. <laughs> so there's an opening. <laughs> yes, that's right. I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the position has opened. <laughs> yeah, and we'll go more into that in a yes. few minutes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, okay, there's now a vacancy <laughs> for uh, a mistress, and in 1741. Um, apparently, this is an annual event. The Clipped Yew Tree Ball is taking place. So, you know, if you can't find anything to throw a ball for, just make it a Clipped Yew Tree Ball. 
<laughs> and uh, the king attends dressed as a yew tree with a, <laughs> a member a number of other members well, of the court also dressed as shrubbery yes <laughs> such a great money python reference there. <laughs> I love it. um apparently it was him and like I don't know, five other people yes. and they dressed at all as trees and you couldn't tell who was the king and he liked to do this. He like, it was this disguise kind of thing. It, made, it like tickled him to yeah. be anonymous and I don't know, bop about and dress as up a as a shrub at his own ball. I love that you keep calling it a shrub. It is a shrub. Uh, you, you tree. Yeah. I you. Also, so. I'm not sure if we mentioned, I may have, but this just to set into the uh, context. This is uh, Louis the Fifteenth. Correct. We of mentioned. France. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, so, of France. <laughs> now, now you know. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> you know which Louis we are referring to. Uh, so back to the ball. Back to the what ball. What happened at the so ball? Heather? She catches his eye at the ball, and they end up talking. Um, and apparently, bets start flying. Even the first moment they've chatted, um, everyone in the in the at the ball is uh, placing bets on if they will take up a relationship and how quickly this will happen and well, if it will last and and apparently fairly quickly it yes. happened so because that night, her, her carriage <laughs> was seen outside his apartment the Ooh, next morning wow. like the carriage ride of shame home. <laughs> no 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 of triumph no, of triumph, of yes, triumph. That's true. <laughs> she was not ashamed her destiny was fulfilled yeah well and i'm just gonna kind of give a little context about mm. this whole mistress of the king thing because really there was no shame involved in this at all all, like from her or him or anyone else because um this was kind of it was kind of the semi-official position uh mistress of the king and uh this was true kind of across europe mm-hmm. and i read an interesting little little explanation for that that hadn't really occurred to me but it makes total sense i mean at the time all of these kings were marrying for political reasons. Right. They were married off for political alliances, sight unseen. It didn't matter at all mm. <laughs> whether there was any attraction or compatibility or, or anything. Um, they were entirely political. So it was kind of this accepted practice that the king could go find a woman or, or multiple women um, who he felt more of a personal connection with, whether that was uh, uh, just physical or sexual or um, as was the case with um, Madame de Pompadour and Louis the Fifteenth? It seems like there was yes, the initial attraction was primarily, I think, sexual. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, as we'll say, they went on to develop this very long-lasting relationships and seemed they were compatible in a lot mm. of other ways. They they um, shared a lot of interests. He loved her wit and her intelligence, and she adored him as well. So it was kind of an opportunity for a king to have a mate that that was a more personal choice somebody who he could relate to and choose a mate in the way that we tend to choose a mate now in our society mm, right. um which right. i thought was very interesting but so um because they did talk about the fact that he respected his wife by marriage yes um like his yeah. basically political wife who mm-hmm. was i believe polish she's polish um, and they had 10 children together right so you know, he didn't have anything against her necessarily. It's not no. like he was being driven into the arms of another woman, but but certainly he hadn't chosen her for for emotional reasons. No, and, so, and it was an arranged yes, marriage. Correct. That, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the this kind of chief mistress position, uh, which in the French <laughs> I like this very much. It was called the maîtresse en titre, which I thought that's pretty great. So the chief mistress was this unofficial or semi-official position uh, it was not a clandestine relationship in any way it was all mm-hmm. completely above board the queen knew all yes, about it and everyone at court yeah and in the country had no problem really, with it right new and yes yeah um so it came with um you know kind of an estate and an annual income uh she had castle apartments right beneath the kings and she was pretty quickly given the title of madame de pompadour um so he paid for a um for what is it when you have the coat of arms a coat of arms oh yes yes for her which was a blue field with three castles Mm -hmm. on it so very regal it's very neat it's a good present it is somebody can buy me a coat of arms i'd be i'd be (laughs) happy yeah (laughs) yeah purchase me (laughs) a coat coat of of arms arms. (laughs) any gentleman out there willing to get me a coat of arms (laughs) might stand a good chance. Better than naming a star after you. <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. it is. <laughs> um, so again, just to kind of give a little more background on this uh, uh, official mistress 
position. It was, as I say, common across Europe. In France in particular, it came into common practice with Henry IV and continued until Louis XV. So I guess after Louis um, XV in France, there just wasn't that didn't hmm. wasn't so much a thing anymore. Oh. But I think France after that was kind of dealing with the other issues. Yes, the, the um, political structure changed quite a bit. Yes. So, yes. so that's probably why. So she was the mistress to end all mistresses. Yeah, mm. although she was not his final mistress, as we'll well, that, okay, discuss. That's true. Um, but and then just a little more context, kind of uh, as I have the chance here about <laughs> Louis the Fifteenth himself. I guess he was a fairly moody guy. Mm. Uh, he had a number of passions, and I guess like the other members of his family, male members, he was pretty uh, virile. Yeah, virile. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say raring to go, but <laughs> large sexual appetites. <laughs> Very large. Yes. yes, and he had already had several mistresses before meeting Renette. Right. Um. And, uh, yes, we said like he had 10 children with his queen and like he had all of these mistresses and it was a whole thing. But, um, he personally, I guess, was somewhat resentful of the shadow of his great grandfather, Louis the 14th, who had been the sun king. And of Mm. course that's a major figure in European history. Um, and you can look him up, Mm. (laughs) but, uh, so Louis the 15th had some kind of, you know, issues and was probably looking to be distracted. And Mm. I guess... Uh, Raynette came just at the right time because I guess he'd grown a little bit tired of all these aristocratic temperamental mistresses who probably a lot of flash and not a lot of substance and <laughs> were like difficult to deal with. And <laughs> I don't know what. So when Raynette shows up and she's completely unexpected and she's pursuing him with this, this, um, vigor <laughs> this, like, and her sparkling eyes but yes, they her sparkling eyes, her sparkling eyes. <laughs> so she really did kind of catch his eye and she mm. rose pretty quickly in his estimation and within a year after meeting um him she became the chief mistress and kind of you know got her title and and all of the things that we talked about moved into versailles mm-hmm. moved, a great yeah, day oh, moving know, day right? to versailles well and i really loved how she well not loved but sort of i guess admired how she um handled her private life because she mm-hmm. had a husband already yes. and a daughter and you know she has a family and an estate and all yeah. this so she um filed for an official separation from her husband and then arranged for her daughter to be cared for elsewhere she basically like made sure everyone else was taken care of uh so she could take up this position with mm-hmm. no strings attached kind of thing so i was like whoa okay i mean but- it's interesting too like she had made no bones about her ambition to her husband and like she had said to him i guess that like i love you but you know if i get this chance yes (laughs) like the king sayonara yeah (laughs) and basically that's what happened and i guess he was pretty bitter about it which i mean that is understandable this poor guy i can't blame him but at the same time like he did go into this knowing what her plan was so (laughs) and her whole family has been talking about it for years so so i guess he should have seen it coming he really should have it is a little rough on him still. yeah it would have been tough but i yeah. feel like he doesn't really have any right to be bitter for the rest of his life when he knew <laughs> what, what he was getting himself into but hey that's well, uh that's his problem yes. <laughs> he didn't go down in the history books no he didn't no. Okay. <laughs> all right uh so madame pompadour had many talents that kept the king entranced uh during mm-hmm. her years at court and uh, she was great at creating diversions. So besides the obvious sexual diversions, uh, she would do things like put on elaborate plays in which she starred and she would uh, sing and, yes, sing and ha- give musical performances. And uh, one of the articles described her apartments as filled with animals like exotic birds and animals and paintings and china and tapestries and <laughs> books and flowers and music. And, and he would come down and it was just like this lovely sort of pleasure grounds where he could, you know, I don't know, get away from the tedious life of court. And- well, and we should mention, mention um, apparently the king at their kind of the height of their sexual relationship. He he would be he would be climbing the stairs to her boudoir like nine times a day. <laughs> and it talks about how her health suffered. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the must say, schedule. Yes, that would be a lot of work. Yes. And she also didn't get a lot of sleep. One of the articles was describing her um, schedule and they said she 
she demanded that she be up and dressed fully ready for the day by 8 a.m. And she hosted dinner parties and events almost every night. Mm-hmm. And so she wouldn't get to bed until two or three in the morning. So she wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And, no. and uh, we'll talk about this later, but her health declines throughout her life. And I thought, God, you know, if you're running that kind of a social schedule, you can see why. And then you've yeah. got the king popping in nine times daily and like, good Lord. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> You'd have time for nothing else. <laughs> so, Somehow she made time yeah. for all of these other things. Yeah. And because she was, yeah, she was involved in, in well, patronage and all I have of other things. I have kind of a list here of all of the things that she was into. And yeah. a lot of these uh, were things that uh, that she and the king did together, actually. Because as I mentioned, they were they were compatible in their interests. And mm-hmm. they were all these projects that they would work on together, which was pretty cool. So she was kind of his mate, you know, in, in you know, she wasn't his, his wife by marriage. But right. I feel like. I don't know if they if they were living today, like right, they would be they would, a couple. Like yeah, it just would make be, sense. They would be a they great be couple that would like yeah. do things together, probably. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. What I also really liked is that they mentioned that out of this list of interests, she introduced him to a number of them mm-hmm. where he wasn't, say, a big reader beforehand. But right. she, but because of her passion for reading, he got into it, and I thought yeah. that's so great. You know, it that really he would is. adopt a whole bunch of hobbies or interests because of her passion. Really get the sense that their relationship was a very equal one that mm. they were on very equal footing and that there was a lot of mutual respect and right. and um which is pretty great at the time period yeah. uh, for a man and a woman i think that was because of the level of society that we're talking of you know maybe that was a little easier for women mm. at that level than at, at other levels of society but even so yeah i mean she was a remarkable woman for her time and really her ambition and her intelligence allowed her to kind of and her drive more than anything i think yes. allowed her to yeah. kind of take this position for herself and and defend it and not let go <laughs> so i have a list here of the the things that she was into and a lot of them as i say were were things that she did with louis the 15th so they were very into architecture mm-hmm. and they built many projects um and she she managed to get her brother appointed director of buildings <laughs> so that uh the three of them could work on these projects together uh, they were also very interested in the decorative arts, and uh, she's kind of known for um, loving the Rococo style. Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, a certain shade of deep pink became known as pompadour pink, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, they were also both into animals, and they amassed a menagerie with like exotic birds and monkeys and things. <laughs> I think PETA would have some issue with probably, yes. you know, menageries at the time. But uh, for the time period, good. You know, they're yes. interested in the, the fauna of the world. <laughs> Very nice. Um, she kickstarted a porcelain factory, mm-hmm. which became kind of a famous brand right so in, of in Sevres in France it's yes. very well known for its porcelain it's I think probably the nice the best in the world right. and she was sort of the trigger for that it, she, it already was a porcelain factory before but her influence took it to the apex of I think that's uh, what global production exactly so. and I think that's what's so interesting about her is that she she wasn't you know famous for one thing that she invented right. or developed or whatever right. but she was yeah she was kind of this influence behind mm. all of these different movements and people and she was the one kind of giving all of these things their start which right. is yes. just so cool she it was a mover so and a shaker neat. yes yeah so cool so again she was a patron to men of science and letters um she encouraged the king to hire voltaire as the court historiographer so again voltaire, mm-hmm. voltaire. has her to thank um, she championed the first French encyclopedia, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Um, and her personal library held over 3,500 books. That's wonderful. I know. All bound with her coat of arms. <laughs> Pretty awesome. I didn't read that. That's so great. I Can know. You having a private <sighs> matching library. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's our dream right like, there. Yeah. I was swooning at the thought of <laughs> having library. a coat of arms to put all over our private leather bound library. <laughs> I'm oh. sure first editions. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. And have the king pay for it all. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she was also big into gardening. Yes. Um, and one of the things, one of the projects that they worked on was a hermitage, I guess, on the grounds of Versailles. Did you read about this? Uh, was it the scent garden? Is that... I think that had something to do with it. Yeah. Like she... Well, you explained about the scent garden. Okay. So in one of the buildings that they designed or built together, uh, she laid out a scent garden so that as you walked through it, you'd be met by 
different scents sort of every few steps through the the garden right so so it'd be like orange blossoms and then lemon trees and then lavender and so you would just be walking through this like rainbow of scents and i thought what so great i know (laughs) pointless but awesome pointless but amazing the only (laughs) thing only that or it can only happen at the apex of like french society right it's (laughs) royalty there are like six people in europe at this time that could do something like that yeah exactly (laughs) right um, and so, yeah, I'm not sure if that was part of the hermitage or right. uh, hermitage adjacent or whatever, but, um, <laughs> the hermitage was also a big deal. They, mm-hmm. you know, she designed it and decorated it in mm-hmm. this kind of, you know, I guess it would be kind of like a French pastoral style with simple painted furniture and hung with cotton <laughs> curtains. And, yes. and I guess the two of them would go, uh, out to this and I get the king would dress as if for hunting and wear his spurs and then just like I guess walk over to the hermitage and like they would spend all day there and he would sometimes cook dinner for <laughs> them as well <laughs> and they had like barnyard animals running about yeah. and like <laughs> created this like fake ideal hobby farm <laughs> to go hang out in very awesome I did visit that area did you in, in Versailles yes oh, cool. and I've been twice and the first time I missed it and the second time I was wondering about going like what is this wonderful <laughs> place because it's like this little dream fairy tale farm <laughs> it's adorable of course so um, I, I would live there <laughs> so uh so on top of all this she also designed or helped to design the Place de la Concorde in Paris which is a rather famous uh, palace I remember mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually she was also very involved in court affairs and politics and foreign policy. And as we've been saying, she really kind of careers rose and fell with her influence. And there was some criticism, I think, you know, as she got older and around the time of her death and, and after immediately after about um, whether she had kind of too much political influence and whether mm. she... I don't know, kind of her her political decisions or, or pushing you know, led to some not great decisions on the part of of the French government and um, something having to do with the Seven Years' War. She helped get them into that, and that wasn't such a good thing. And then France ended up in kind of bad economic uh, situations, which, I mean, all of that, Mm. it's hard to say, right, like what kind of led to all of the, you know, later (laughs) French uh, political turmoil, um, (laughs) whether she, her influence had anything to do with that or not. But... um, she had her critics and she had enemies uh, in absolutely, court. Absolutely. And many of them, it sounds mm-hmm. like, as as her life went on. I think she also would have been an easy scapegoat because to criticize yeah. the king would be rather dangerous. Um, but to criticize his mistress would be a lot less risky and easier to point fingers, um, you know, at, at the woman influencing him rather than uh, the king himself. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she may, she may have... <laughs> given him some bad political advice or some bad, uh, you know, sort of foreign advice, but, uh, we, you know, who knows? Exactly. Um, so, you know, kind of throughout the first number of years of her, um, her association with the king, they kept up this rigorous sexual relationship. Well, I guess um, eventually that kind of petered out. Well, she kind of was the one getting a little less amorous um, first, and which is great. Which is yeah, yeah I love that. Um, She's like, well. well tired of the king as a lover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although she tried at first. She I love this report from her maid that she existed on a diet of um vanilla, truffles, truffles and celery. <laughs> and apparently those three things are supposed to help with your libido. <laughs> or at least they were thought to do so at the time. So she ate tons of, of these three foods in an effort to, you know, keep up her sexual stamina yes. to, to match the kings. That's great. I was surprised there were no oysters there. I know. Oysters yeah. are the purportedly libidinous uh, mm. food nowadays but yes. yeah yes no i've never heard <laughs> celery celery but about <laughs> celery the amish actually plant a huge crop of celery the year before they know one of their children is to be married and so there's tons of celery at the wedding feast so really you you never know maybe celery is is a big thing <laughs> celery just seems like such a blah food it does seem to be so associated yes. with um it's with like the least libido. sexual of foods yeah no, it doesn't seem like a great aphrodisiac no, no. I wouldn't be turned on by by a celery. Oh, dish of celery. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I also um, I kept wondering. Okay, so truffles. Does that mean mm. the the mushroom or the chocolate? <laughs> I immediately thought chocolate, but then I thought about the more time period, and I thought it's more likely that it's the mushroom. Yeah, so, that's yes. what I'm guessing. But yes, I know that would be a terrible diet: celery, yeah. truffles, and vanilla. 
It'd be awful. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. Because vanilla doesn't taste good unless it's in other things. No. And they're just saying straight vanilla. I don't like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so if your libido wanes, you're not going to turn to I vanilla celery turn and truffles. to Madame de Pompadour's libido diet. <laughs> well, and it sounds like it didn't really work all that well anyway. No, this is true. <laughs> Eventually, yes. um, But she had she other issues as well. She suffered yes. a number of miscarriages with the king, um, trying to you know, have a child with him. Um, and so there were sort of multiple reasons that their physical relationship waned. Um, and so it became much more um, a relationship, an intellectual mm-hmm. and uh, a friendship Which then is great. And I think fairly unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I think he, generally when a king gets tired of his official mistress, um, you know, somebody else takes her place and right. she, you know, I don't know, maybe she gets a stipend or something or <laughs> you know, probably still has, you know, somebody to look out for her or whatever, whatever. But, um, I would think in general that relationship is just kind of over. But in this case, because they were so compatible and she was still so fascinating to him, even aside from her sexual allure, they kept up this really close relationship and he still visited her every day for the rest of her life, even though she, and she found replacements for herself, which I I think is great. She found sexual (laughs) replacements for herself while maintaining her, her hold as a kind of a friend and a companion. Right. I mean, what a way, what a way to grasp power, right? so it's smart. Not, yes, it's not like well, if your physical charms are gone, then then that's, you're out the door. It. It's she well, found ways now to... you can choose, you know, who will next warm his bed. But, smart, but yes. Yeah, so and then she's making the careers of all these these younger mistresses as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. she was shrewd, yes, very very yes. shrewd. So she was she adored the king, um, and uh, so it was this kind of mutual mm. love, right. um, and he was devoted to her and i guess he actually became fan fan's stepfather right i read that <laughs> um to the point now and this is very sad that mm-hmm. i guess when she fell gravely ill the king rushed doctors to her and unfortunately she did die before the mm. age of 10 but uh you know that's kind of a sweet testimony to the the depth and the kind of um, personal nature of their relationship that he right. had this relationship with her daughter and right. cared enough for her to to do that so mm-hmm. yes and in the same year mm. um she lost her was it her father her father, her, her father? okay yeah. um so she lost her daughter and her father in the same year and and contemporaries at the time said she never really recovered from that loss that that was always very very painful obviously yeah as it would be so i would imagine yeah. that that had um not a great effect on her deteriorating health either. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, imagine. So unfortunately, yeah, she got kind of later into her life. And I mean, at this point she's still, she's not very old. She's probably in her thirties. Um, but unfortunately, you know, things are a little less rosy mm. by this point. She suffers these losses. Her health isn't great, but she's still, you know, very involved right. in, in right. all the business of the country and yes. in all of these pursuits and passions. Um, which uh, is just great. <laughs> I like that one of the websites described her embroidery sessions as quote power broking me- sorry power broking meetings. <laughs> that is awesome. If you wanted power, you would go and hang out while she embroidered. Phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh man! So all of this kind of you know through the years, um, you know as we as we mentioned, her her health was kind of weakening, and by. Um, 1764 she wasn't doing very well at all as as heather mentioned she had had several miscarriages throughout her life and also um a painful struggle with tuberculosis Mm. um and all of that kind of led to her weakened state of health and she died in uh 1764 on april 15th which was actually easter sunday and she died at versailles and she was only i think she was only 44 or yeah, in her mid early to mid 44 which of course is even at the time far too young, young right. to die yeah. um apparently the king was just distraught he stayed with her every day in the last few days before her death mm. and um was just completely bereft and mm. when she you know after she died and and she was leaving uh, the palace for the last time he I guess protocol dictated that he wasn't allowed to accompany her body and and attend the funeral so he stood on the balcony mm. of Versailles without a coat or a hat in the in the driving rain and, and stood there you know and watched the carriage 
roll out of sight Aww. as long as he can and um was just heartbroken and he said that that was the only tribute that he could Aww. that he could give her was to to stand there and kind of salute her on her last journey away from versailles Aww. which is so romantic that and is, poetic that is romantic yeah i can see the scene in my mind i know me too. For, for our biopic <laughs> well and if you watch that episode of doctor who you don't have to see it in your mind <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> i just That's literally great. winked at heather i don't know why That's why not? <laughs> Why not? Yes. Yeah, so she's time very for a week. next to her daughter, which I thought was very sweet. But, yeah. You know, they're sort of together mm-hmm. at the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, um, a short life, but a, mm-hmm. but a brilliant one. Right. A vibrant. Absolutely. So brilliant influential. One. Mm-hmm. And she created a, a distinctive style that we see as French even today. Yeah. So absolutely. it's considered sort of the apex of French fashion and style and um, the, the golden age of French styles. And it seems like she had a major, major hand in that. I mean, she was the style maker at this time. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, her legacy, uh, at the time, um, and I'm, I guess kind of historically, she's considered one of the three most powerful women of the 18th century, uh, which is, I guess in Western history. Um, so alongside her are Catherine, the great of Russia and Maria Theresa of Austria, um, who I think we'll have to add both yes. of them to our list. I think Catherine the Great is on our list. I hope she is. She should be. She should she be. Is not. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't think Maria Theresa of Austria I is. I know nothing no. about her. I so. want to learn about her too. Yeah, I thought the same up. thing when I saw that list. I thought, aha, here are two more names. Yesterladies, two Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, pretty big deal to be considered one of the mm-hmm. three most powerful women of the 18th century. Um, she, as we kind of mentioned, she... She spent a lot of money in her seal for oh, unique and beautiful surroundings. So yes. she was kind of known for that. And then enemies blamed her for France's failure in the Seven Years' War and then later economic mm. troubles of France. Whether or not that was completely fair is something for sure, historians sure. to debate, I think. I did read that she had unlimited credit because oh. um, all the manufacturers and uh, and you know artisans knew that the king would pay for whatever she wanted. And they were constantly having their their rooms redecorated and right. building buildings. And her passion was to buy buildings or chateaus and then redesign them. I love that. <laughs> she would have been like a house was, flipper that's today. Exactly what I <laughs> She would be on HGTV. Yes. Oh <laughs> like my god! She gosh. would have her own show. <laughs> like, Madame, Madame de Pompadour's home style <laughs> chateau <laughs> redo. <laughs> yeah. She'd be like Sarah Richardson, except it's, it's her chateau show. Yeah. I actually thought of Sarah Richardson when I read Pompadour's that. house. <laughs> awesome! Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, I could see how to a very poor French peasant this would seem very exorbitant. And she yeah. Spent, she spent fortunes plural on mm. her collections of porcelain and jewels and gems and furniture and all this so Books and clothes the and lifestyle things. really was incredibly Lavish. exorbitant right but i mean there are other people including the king to blame for this so it's I not mean, like she single-handedly it's kind <laughs> yeah. of what the aristocracy did it's, yeah at that time and place, <laughs> right? so. it, it doesn't make it okay but no. it's it's not fair to her single her out yes it's not just her <laughs> right i think marie antoinette kind of got the same treatment yeah uh, a little unfair well. right a little unfair. Yeah. <laughs> although marie antoinette uh sounds like a pretty big uh <laughs> compared she was, she was to perhaps a little less influential and intellectual yeah yeah that's yes. not fair i shouldn't say well. she was a dit so that's not very nice but uh yeah maybe not as kind of um intellectually vibrant yes <laughs> madame de pompadour that'll be our kind way of saying uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah um so just kind of um I love this. Did you have anything else about her, about her life that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, but are you going to talk about the lawyers and dividing up her estate? No, you oh, talk about that. Well, it's just one funny little anecdote that she had amassed so much personal wealth, like just possessions that um, when they were going through, when lawyers were dividing up her estate and going through her will and um, they had a massive auction to sell off a lot of her goods, um, they were dividing everything to lots and there were at least 12 items per lot and there were like thousands of lots and it took the lawyers, it took two lawyers an entire year wow. to catalog just her possessions to get it ready for the auction she had so much stuff in oh in goodness. like a collection of real estate across the country right because she owned chateaus and lodges and there were all her possessions in versailles and it was just incredible wow um, how much she had so did um did you read like what happened to the money right like because she had no, no descendants right at yes that point. no like, i did not read that so i don't, I wonder know, I don't who, know where it all went but yeah. they said that anyone who purchased anything from that I mean, even modern day, like uh, they said, the investment, the payoff was phenomenal. Wow. That if you were to have purchased anything at that time Belonging of to. hers, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now today the value is extraordinary. So, wow. so a lasting financial legacy. <laughs> huh. Yes. Oh wow, that's cool. Um, 
so just kind of to end, I have this short little list, um, kind of going back to the beginning of our podcast, we were talking about, uh, I think most people don't really know that Pompadour is, Mm. um, was a person and you know who she was and what she did. But over the years, that name, you know, because of her influence has been lent to a number of things. So kind of, uh, first on that list was a British regiment, interestingly, uh, which became known as the Pompadours because they used, uh, her favorite shade of purple in their (laughs) uniform. I was very surprised to read that. A, that it was British. B, that they were using purple. (laughs) I thought that was neat. thing is interesting yeah uh very cool so i guess i think that regiment still exists Hmm. known as the pompadours i'll have to look that up yeah uh so also among her namesakes uh there's a flower uh named for her um kitten heels and i think i had heard this so the little for those of our listeners who are not initiated into heel heights in women's (laughs) pumps um kitten heels are just the the kind of the shortest of little heels Mm -hmm. that are maybe you know an inch or so high. And, uh, I have heard them referred to as pompadour. Oh, I had not. And I was surprised. Yeah. Our good friend Heidi actually is a big fan of kitten heels. heels. Uh, So shout out to Heidi. Her pompadour heels are very (laughs) sleek and chic. Um, and then of course the famous hairstyle. Yes. That I had heard of. Yeah. Which I think we think of both in that, like, you know, those giant wigs, powdered wigs (laughs) kind of thing. Like I think of that as a pompadour. I don't know if that's completely right. But I think it's anything really with a big puff, a big, or a big puff, lift. yeah, yeah. Anything and like, that you would back comb today, yes. right? Um, I think would be considered a variation of a pompadour. Yeah, so. exactly. So kind of a um, oh shoot, what's from the '60s? What women did a, a beehive? Beehive was right. kind of maybe a, a kind of pompadour, but yeah. also that word was used to describe uh, men's hairstyles mm. in like the '50s and '60s. When so like like Elvis, right? Like that oh, kind of okay, as yep. you said, back combed yes. kind yep. of poof. Right, you know, for volume in the front. Right? Exactly. Okay. And I think, I may be misremembering, but I think there was a, uh, a male musical group from that period known as the Pompadours. <laughs> I need to look that up, but I'm pretty sure. I don't remember. If, I don't think they were Motown. I think they were more like um, like kind of a 50s, you know, uh, group. Big I have to band. look that up, but I'm pretty sure, right. yeah. We find them. Well. Not quite a big band. Later we'll, than that. Okay. But. We'll put a link to, to some... Pompadours, Footage if, we find if they them. exist. Yes. <laughs> I might be making this up. Uh-huh. Um, and then finally, to end, of course, we will note that the, uh, more recently, her her name was used on the Doctor Who uh, program. <laughs> uh, there is a, yeah, on the show, there is a famous uh, spaceship known as the SS Madame de Pompadour. <laughs> and uh, there is a great, as I mentioned, there's a great episode <laughs> of Doctor <laughs> Who, the David Tennant uh, era um, with Madame de Pompadour herself making an appearance. I'm um, soon to be initiated into the joys of yes. this episode. <laughs> So, you know, for Heather, the future lies in the direction of (laughs) Doctor Who. (laughs) And for the rest of you, um, your future can lie in looking up. Oh, I love this. This is a great transition. Uh, Your future can lie in looking up um, more information about Madame de Pompadour. As always, we will include links to the resources that we've used for this episode along with the post. And you can find those. I don't know if I always mention, but you can find those on our actual website, yesterladies.com. Um, you can find the podcast, of course, on iTunes or on whatever other podcast app you like to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also encourage you to follow us on social media. We are at Yesterladies on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Yesterladies. Mm-hmm. So get in touch with us there. And, oh, and you can also email us at yesterladies at gmail.com. Um, so please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's an idea for an episode or just commentary on <laughs> previous episodes or just, you know, adulation. <laughs> <laughs> we accept all adulation. Yes. All adulation is acceptable <laughs> to us. Graciously. <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening. And I've been Dana. And I'm Heather. And thanks for listening to Yesterladies. Ladies.